Welcome to the Ponder a New Podcast. I'm Pastor Rob Myles. In this season, we've been looking together at the stories of Joseph from the book of Genesis, pondering anew how these ancient, kind of almost Bronze Age stories are just unbelievably relevant uh, for our lives today. I've so enjoyed the conversations about these. Um, and today, we are going to look at Judah uh, and his transformation. And the story you're about to hear picks up after Joseph has sort of, it's a long kind of story you can read all about in Genesis, tricks them a little bit. It ends up where um, Judah's going to have to make a decision because it turns out that Benjamin, the youngest brother, will need to stay in Egypt. And, and Judah knows this would break his father's heart. So that's where the story picks up, and we'll then be pondering about transformation, how this happens, and to what end it, it goes. I closed my eyes, drew back the curtain to see for certain what I thought I knew. Then Judah stepped up to him and said, And when our father said, Go again, buy us a little food, we said we cannot go down. Only if our youngest brother goes with us, we will go down. For we cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Then your servant, my father, said to us, You know that my wife bore me two sons. One left me, and I said, Surely he has been torn to pieces, and I have never seen him since. If you take this one also from me, and harm comes to him, you will bring down my gray hairs in sorrow to Sheol. Now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the boy is not with us, then as his life is bound up in the boy's life, when he sees that the boy is not with us, he will die. And your servants will bring down the gray hairs of your servant, our father, with sorrow to Sheol. For your servant became surety for the boy to my father, saying, If I do not bring him back to you, then I will bear the blame in the sight of my father all my life. Now therefore, please, let your servant remain as a slave to my Lord in place of the boy, and let the boy go back with his brothers. For how can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? I fear to see the suffering that would come upon my father. When we first met Judah, he was trying to convince his brothers, successfully, to sell their brother into slavery. Why would it profit them to simply kill their brother? They should get some silver out of the deal. And so they sold, they sold Joseph into slavery at Judah's, sort of his machinations, his ideas about this. And I think all of us who read that part of the story had a pretty low view of Judah. I don't think many of us thought that Judah was doing this altruistically to save his brother's hide, but more just he wanted to make money off of it. And even if you weren't so cynical in your interpretation, certainly Judah was not sticking out his neck in any way, shape, or form for his brother's life. But now we're going to meet a very different Judah. And uh, I want to give just a little bit of backdrop on the story here. 
Uh, Joseph recognizes his brothers. His brothers come down to Egypt because the famine is so severe that they also need food. But they don't recognize him, right? He's all fancied up in Egyptian garb. He's a much older, you know, they saw him sort of as a, as a teenager, and now he's a full-grown man. They, they don't recognize him. And uh, so uh, Joseph wants to know if his brothers have matured and changed, and ultimately he wants to see his father and his brother. He doesn't want to give himself away. And so Joseph kind of comes up with this plan, and... Um, and what happens is uh, that the brothers end up having to come down a second time, and um, this time with the youngest brother, Benjamin, who's sort of the same father and same mother, sort of his full brother. The rest are just half-brothers uh, to Joseph. Again, it gets kind of complicated, but what you need to know is that Joseph sets him up, lays a trap for them in terms of um, some silver and uh, you know, something in one of their bags, and then at the end of the day, um, Joseph has a right um, that the brother, Benjamin, could stay with him. He's tricked the brother sort of into this. And at this point, Judah steps forward and basically protests, saying, you just can't do that. You know, my father is so bound up with him that it would just kill my father. So you just you take my life and not his. And at this point, we see that Judah has really been transformed from one who wasn't willing to stick out his neck to now one who's willing to give up his life for his brother Benjamin and ultimately for his, his father. So I think it's, it's um, not a cynical transformation. I think the Bible really does want to point this out, that Judah has been changed. And I want to reflect with you then on what it means to change and, and how this happens to people in the Bible. Because uh, typically, uh, the change of the human heart, um, yeah, this is a complicated one. And like I talked about last week, and admittedly probably too long of a discourse about the two hands of God. Um, but just to go back to that real quick, right? On the one hand, God is trying to make life better material for us, make it so that people have medicine and food in their tummies and so forth. But ultimately, God is the long project of God is the transformation of the human heart, uh, making all things new ultimately in Jesus Christ. And so we see in this story here that Judah now is going to be transformed. He's being made new. So let's think about um, why this happened um, and kind of what the fruits of this transformation are and um, what's distinctly Christian about this idea of transformation and, and how is that, yeah, what does that look like in our world today? How is it then that Judah is transformed? Well, I wish I could tell you that uh, Joseph went to an academic school for a few years and um, he took some tests on character formation and read some books and then came out and, uh, you know, had passed to the school of uh, transformation and then was a better human. Turns out that's not actually how it works. Um, I think we can actually learn from books and uh, I, I'm not saying that those aren't important, but I think the, the transfer of the human heart 
is one that often requires not just real life, but real challenges. Now, let's be clear. There are times in life when we need to succeed in order to grow and even to be changed as a person. You know, I'm helping to coach um, middle school cross country this year, and, and the reason why I did it was just because I saw that for my older daughter, it had really been such a positive experience. And I remember my own time in middle school. And just, it would have been very helpful for me at that point to have had uh, something that was affirming uh, for me. Um, I, I didn't kind of find that till marching band in high school. Um, but, so I, I think there is a way in which um, there are times in life where in order for us to really I think go through transformation. We do need affirmation. We do need somebody to to tell us that we're we're in the we're heading in the right direction. That we're cared for. That we're loved. That we're we're getting uh, you know marking progress. Um, so so I, I, again, I think that not just sort of improving at a skill, but I mean really actually having our hearts changed. I think we do uh, need love um, and and affirmation. So I don't want to deny that. Yet at the same time, uh, I think we need a certain level of challenge. And, and I think we need obstacles in order for us to be transformed. And, and my sense is, is that, first of all, when we have obstacles in life, um, this, first of all, I think this can make us more empathetic to others and the challenges that they're going through in their life. I think it can also, um, at points, help us discover what's within us, a strength we didn't know was there. I think at points it can make us um, more aware of the people in our lives and, and how much they care about us and what it really means to be part of a community of care. And I think also, perhaps most importantly, I think when we go through those tough times, um, God stops becoming a, a theoretical life insurance policy um, or, a, you know, I guess a fire insurance policy to get out of hell or something. But, but like God really becomes our, our Lord and our Savior, the one who we are calling upon, um, not just the God sort of off in heavens or far away, but the God who here and now we need on a daily basis. So I'm curious in your life, when have you um, grown? When have And not just grown, but really had a sense of, of be, becoming something more than you were. Um, I was just reading a book about uh, actually repentance and, and transformation and was talking about somebody who was leaving prison and they said, you know, I think they were nervous as they got out of prison um, because they just knew that they had become a different person and they were wondering actually how those around them would respond. Um, so again, those times in life when you've sensed, okay, like I think I've really kind of grown. I think I've uh, changed ideally for the better, although we know that you know, they're, or they're just really a profound change in who we are. Um, has that been in your life because of stuff that's been really good that's happening? Or has that been from stuff that has also been quite challenging? What have been the experiences that have 
brought about the most transformation in your life? Has it been a, a combination of sort of challenge, but also at the same time having some people that have affirmed you or being a part of a faith community that's really helped kind of help you make sense of what's going on? Yeah, so, so what are some of the elements? Um, and I think we all can maybe to put a lighter touch on it. You know, it's like the prayer is, Lord, grant me humility and patience, just not the challenges that produce those. So what does a transformed life look like? How can you tell that a transformation uh, comes from God? One of the most popular books, uh, sort of Christian kind of pop culture books, for probably about a decade or so, was Joel Osteen's Your Best Life Now. And the title suggests, right, that if you sort of had God in your life, you could be living life to its fullest, the abundant life. And this is just one of many variants of what we might call prosperity gospel, whereby if you do the right things and you pray the right prayers and attend the right church and send money to the right uh, churches or charities, then, you know, out of this, God will reward you with great abundance. Typically, transformation in the Bible looks a lot different. Uh, Transformation in the Bible is not about people having their own wishes or desires fulfilled. Transformation is when their hearts are so opened um, that to put it in terms of the stuff we've been talking about, passion and uh, duty two weeks ago, uh, sort of that really your duty becomes your passion. And that the other people in your life you're able to really live for them, to let go more and more. So ironically, I mean, if the title of, I think, a Christian book on transformation would not be your best life now, it might be your neighbor's best life now, or or perhaps you could have your best life now, but then you'd have to have a pretty long subtitle like, you know, how to lose your life and gain the one that God intends for you instead. <laughs> The, the mark of transformation for Judah is that he's willing to give up his own life. He's willing to become a slave in Egypt simply so that he can know that his father is in peace and his brother is safe. Right? This isn't his best life now. It's kind of, in many ways, his worst life now. But he cares about his father. Again, in life, the transformation in the Bible is this transformation of the human heart towards others. And, and this is really, again, where God wants us to be in the work of God in our lives. I'm curious if there have been times in your life where you've really felt like your heart has been open to the needs of others. In a way, perhaps you even forgot about your own needs at that point. Now, I I get it that there can be another problem where we so sort of live for others that we get taken advantage of or we totally neglect our own sort of mental health and sanity at a point where we actually aren't helpful to anybody else. I get that. But I'm just curious, what have been the times in your life when you've really felt like Wow, like the needs of somebody else just truly impressed you 
in a way where in a short term or even a long term way you really felt like you just could not do anything else but help that other person. That's, that's really the, the kind of the transformation. Now, I know that Richard Rohr, who's this uh, Franciscan um, monk, and he talks a lot about this, um, sort of almost like you know, your second life. I know David Brooks talks about this too in, in one of his books called The Second Mountain. But, but again, this, this sense that at some level, uh, you know, in the first part of our life, we typically um, are, are being driven by our own ego's need to, to prove ourselves and in the second part of life, at some point, we live a transformed life, uh, the more, in this case, Judah-like life, um, where Judah is now living for other people. And, and I actually agree with both David Brooks and Richard Rohr about this sort of transformation, what it looks like. I would just offer that it's perhaps no, not so chronological in that I think that there are times in life, even as young people, where we can really... Um, be living for other people and I think there's times as older people where our ego still catches up with us and we think we've overcome it but we but we haven't uh, quite gotten there but I think that is really the hope is that um, over our, our life that we would have this this arc of, of who we are um, and and this profound sense that you know we can we can give to others and I think in classic sort of Christian uh, discourse that really is what it's all about at least from a Lutheran perspective that Christ has died Christ has given us the gift of eternal life so so freed from having to sort of prove ourselves anymore to anybody and God has said you're worth it that we can now kind of get over ourselves and and begin to love and serve our neighbor and I think that's something that propositionally I've known most of my life but I think again and again I have to discover a new and remind myself, be taught again, both in mind, but also in body and in heart, um, what God has done for me uh, frees me to to love and to serve others. So the trajectory of Christian transformation is always away from ourselves and really becoming not just Judah-like, but, but Christ-like, having not our own needs at heart, but secure in God's provision for us that we can then care for others. I want to reflect a little bit at the end with you on the different way in which transformation is talked about in today's society than classic sort of Christian understandings of it. And the way that I can get at that most easily is the musical Frozen. And there are two sisters. And the two sisters really embody sort of the the notions of change and transformation. And, and Elsa, the older sister, really embodies sort of a modern notion of transformation, where uh, the song Let It Go is really about letting go of social expectations of who I should be to sort of that I can be the unencumbered self and do whatever I want to do. Right? I need to be true to myself. Authenticity is the, is the crucial value there. But then Anna represents a more older sort of Christian nature in, in which the, the transformation is going to be this sort of giving up of the self 
um, sort of moving from sort of a, a spritish little girl who has the arrogance to sort of spoil her sister's coronation by making it about herself to then at the end, the one who's willing to give up her life for her sister. And, and that, and Anna there, is the classic sort of Judeo-Christian understanding of transformation. I must give up myself for the sake of others. Um, and again, Elsa is the modern interpretation of transformation, where the key herm- hermeneutic, the key thing becomes be, being authentic to oneself over and against um, sort of societal conventions. And, and I'm not, and it's funny that, again, they're both there, and um, Elsa wins out because let it go is such an earworm. <laughs> and, and I think that's actually a metaphor, too, where this, this um, sort of authenticity-based transformation is winning out in our culture. This is clearly the louder voice, um, sort of a be true to yourself, um, over and against a sort of a Christian sort of, well, authenticity is important and there are ways in which social rules can become oppressive the bible definitely acknowledges that but but fundamentally the the sort of the the transformation is is about um not just becoming your true self but becoming the true self that god intended you to be and that might be something different than who you wake up and feel like you want to be on a given day. I'm not going to solve this, but I just want to put that out there, that there is a definitive tension between these two. And I could give specific uh, social issues where this is just sort of uh, exploding in our culture. But beyond those issues, there's just going to be a sort of a tension Right? You can't imagine this right at the end where Judah says, like, well, you know, my authentic self is just to leave right now and just, you know, look out over the Mediterranean because that's who I feel most at peace with myself when I'm doing that. No. Judah right now is called to give up himself for his brother. And in that way, um, he becomes the person who God has called him to be. So just want to throw that out there, uh, a little reflection there at the end, um, probably worth its own podcast, but I don't think we could talk about transformation, at least putting that out there. So transformation in the Bible often happens through times of challenge. It's really oriented towards the neighbor and often means there's got to be some sort of letting go, some putting to death of something that was inside us previously. For Judah, his greed, his pride, all sorts of things. So hopefully that's enough for you to think about transformation this week. And uh, again, we'll keep pondering uh, together here these stories of Joseph.